Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Koinonia. It is so good to see you. Look at all these smiling eyeballs that I can see in front of me. This is incredible. It's a special day to be in church today, and this morning we are continuing our Ephesians series. Yes, we have made it finally to chapter 6. Can you believe it? And I, this morning, get to speak on Ephesians 6, specifically verse 1 to 9. Now, this section of Ephesians can kind of feel a little bit like house rules of the family of God, okay? Can feel that way. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not about house rules in God's family. It's about the household culture of God's family. Let me share a story with you to help you see what I'm talking about. Um, So I want you to just picture with me. You're in the Ferguson household kitchen, okay? On a regular weekday morning, there's six of us working on our breakfast and getting lunch ready for the day. And uh, I, 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 I I'm in grade seven, okay? I'm a young teenager. The hormones are raging. I'm grumpy all the time. And I say something just a little bit sharp to my sister, Clara, and I'm something like this. Clara, you know, why are you taking so long with the toaster? And before my bad breath even hit Clara, my mom was like, hey, you can be tired, you can be grumpy, but you will not speak that way to your sister. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. <laughs> it woke me up so quick. But that moment has also stuck with me because upon reflection, I realized my mom wasn't really making a rule about whether or not I could be grumpy. She was reminding me of the household culture of our family, which was even when we're grumpy, even when we're tired, even when it's inconvenient for us, we speak kindly to one another. <laughs> not a rule, but it's household culture. Household rules, there are things like this. Always use a coaster, right? Does anybody have that household rule? Or this one, always wash your hands before you use the Xbox controller. It's a household rule. A household rule at my in-laws is ensure the dishwasher is on the most efficient setting at all times. Um, we have to be efficient here, folks. These are household rules. But in that moment, my mom was not reminding me of a rule. She was reminding me of one of the distinguishing factors of what it means to be a Ferguson. We speak kindly to each other. And in Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 9, Paul is reminding the church in Ephesians of the distinguishing factors of what it means to be a part of God's family, what it means to be a part of his church. Now, It may feel like Paul is laying down new rules here, but what Paul is doing from verse 1 to 9 is he's calling us to trust in God's heavenly wisdom that that wisdom will be at work through the laws that God has established in the world. A helpful analogy that I've heard as we get into talking about God's laws is to look at them as railway tracks, God's laws are railway tracks that lead us into his heart. That's that's the purpose. They're not meant to exclude. They're meant to bring us closer to him. And so God has set up these governing principles, and he set up how they work in this world, and God is the one who defines for us 
the culture of what it means to be a part of his family. And so today we're going to look at some of these railway tracks that God has laid out for us. These, these markers of the culture of the family of God, specifically in two places where we spend pretty much all of our time at home and at work. So are you ready to dive into it? Great. Well, we're not going to yet because I need to do two more things. <laughs> It's a good thing I have notes. Um, I want to first clarify for us what what is a rule and what is culture? Because I think this will be helpful as we continue this conversation. So let me just give you, okay, dictionary.com, helpful. Have you ever been there? Here's a definition of a rule. (laughs) It's a set of explicit or understood regulations or principles that govern conduct within an activity or a sphere. So I mentioned some rules earlier. You know, always use a coaster. Always wash your hands before you use the Xbox controller. Always take your shoes off on the front door mat. Okay, house rules. (laughs) These are rules that, you know, tell us they govern our conduct within our homes. Now, here's a definition of culture. Culture is a system of behaviors and collectively held values of a group that are distinguishing factors in everyday interactions. So this is culture. It's a distinguishing factor a collectively held value that influences behavior. Rules tell you what you should do, and culture is shaped by what you do. So rules tell us what we should do, and and the culture of the family of God is shaped by what we do. Now, I want to give you an example of culture before we get into our scripture. And I found this this company. They have a, an office in downtown Kitchener here in Waterloo. Uh, excuse me, in Kitchener. Uh, you may have heard of them. They're called Google. And the... Um, seriously, that's not even funny? <laughs> Guys, is the rain getting to you? <laughs> that must be it. Anyways, Google. They are known globally for having an incredibly strong culture in their business. So I want to just give you an example of one of their values that outlines their culture. And it's this. You can be serious without a suit. You can be serious without a suit. Here's what they mean. On, this is from their core value page. Our atmosphere may be casual, but as new ideas emerge in line at a cafe or a team meeting or at the gym, they're traded, tested, and put into practice with dizzying speed. And they may be the launch pad for a new project destined for worldwide use. In other words, Google is sent, doesn't make a rule about wearing a suit to work. But they're saying, always be ready for new ideas to come to you. Whether you're at work or at the gym or in the shower or whatever you're doing. You can work without a suit. You can be serious without a suit. This is, a, this is an example of how behavior is what influences the culture. And so part of Paul's purpose then for Ephesians is to outline for us the culture of the kingdom of God. But it's important to note that Paul's behavior doesn't establish the culture of God's kingdom. Neither does my behavior or yours. The culture of God's kingdom is established by the behavior of Christ. Part of Paul's, uh, or sorry, God is the only one who defines the culture of his family. The behavior of Christ exemplifies the culture, and then it's the Holy Spirit who establishes that culture in us. So God establishes the culture. Jesus' behavior exemplifies the culture, and then the Holy Spirit establishes it in us. And this is something that Paul has talked about through the whole book of Ephesians, right? In chapter 5, Pastor Brian was highlighting for us how 
we need to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. It's only because of the continuous filling of the Holy Spirit that we can walk out and carry the culture of God's kingdom that Paul is highlighting for us. So, okay, now let's get into today's passage. We're in Ephesians 6, verse 1. I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to read the first three verses, uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about it together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. <laughs> now, if you were a parent in this room, and you just did one of these, hey, son, this is for you. Or, excuse me, daughter, allow me to help you listen right now. <laughs> uh, the best part about being a human is we all have parents that we can honor. So, if you're a kid in this room, then listen as a kid. But if you're an adult in this room, I want to remind you to also listen as a kid. Because if you're here, whether you like it or not, to think about it, we all have parents. That's how we got here. I try not to think about it too often. And we never outgrow the culture of honor in God's kingdom, okay? So if you're a parent, I want you to listen as a kid. And if you're a kid, incredible. Keep listening as a kid. Okay, we can't outgrow the culture of honor in God's kingdom. Honor is a key word in these first nine verses, and, and I'm going to refer to it a lot. And honor means to properly assign value, I love the definition to properly assign value because Paul isn't saying to define the value of our parents. He's asking us to assign that honor to them. Then you may be asking, well, then who gets to decide the value that our parents have? And that is God. Remember, God is the one who establishes the culture of the kingdom of God. He's the one who defines it. Now, God doesn't create or define the value of our parents' actions, just the role of the parent. Because God created parenthood, he established it, and so he then gets to determine the value of the role of a parent. So when Paul is calling us to honor our parents, he's not calling us in our earthly wisdom to determine how valuable our parents are, based on their actions. He's asking us to take the value that God has already set on the role of the parent and to continuously assign that value to our parents. Paul is asking us to assign that value that God has established. And in doing that, he's asking us to trust that God knows the value of the role of a parent. He's asking us to trust that God is the one to determine that value and not me. He's asking us to follow this railway track. Now, this is important when we think about the culture of the kingdom of God. God sets the value and determines it, and we then assign that value. Another note that is important here, I think, to touch on is that the, the promise went, so in, in verse uh, 2, when he highlights, this is the first commandment with the promise— the promise here is not the main focus of the outcome of obedience. I will obey my parents so I can live forever. <laughs> it's not the point. The focus here of this scripture is that obedience honors God. Obedience 
to our parents says, God, I trust the value that you have placed on, our, on my parents. It's calling back to you from chapter five, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We could change those words around to say, honor your father and mother out of reverence for Christ. Paul is pulling the same idea through this chapter as well. And so then when we honor our parents, we're saying, God, I trust the culture that you're establishing and I trust that, that this is what you are calling me to do even when I don't understand. Now, you might be thinking, Nick, you've never been to my house before. <laughs> you don't know how my mom speaks to me when I'm at home. You don't know what my dad has done to me. <laughs> I could never honor my parents. And you're, you're right. Like, I don't. I, I don't get to spend time in your home. And I know there's so many of us that have experienced the misuse of authority of parents. And there's those of us who've been abandoned, who've been neglected, who've been spoken down to by our parents. And that breaks God's heart. Like that's not God's design for the way that he structured our families. But what I, what I want to say is that in this passage in Ephesians, we're being invited to trust that if God is the one who determines the value of our parents, then God is the one who's ultimately going to hold them responsible for how he's used it, how they've used it, and not, not me. If God determines and sets the value for our parents, then he's the one who's going to be the judge of how they used what he's given them, and, and not me. And so I have to trust God in that. Now remember, Paul isn't telling kids, or all of us who have parents, to honor our parents based on their actions. He's calling them to honor parents based on the position that God has established. Now, when we assign value that God assigns to our parents, we're, we're essentially saying, God, that I, I trust you. I trust that you've created this and this is how it works. But what it doesn't mean is that the actions of your parents are suddenly okay. Like honor is not just a magic eraser that lets us get, get walked on. The, remember how I was talking about railway tracks and God's laws that he designs are railway tracks that lead us to his heart. Along those railway tracks is also healing. And this is something that all of us need <laughs> because we know that you, you know parents are not perfect. Parents make mistakes. Parents say things in a, in a difficult moment that they don't really mean. And those things wound us. And honoring our parents doesn't erase their actions. But what it does is it invites the Holy Spirit into our hearts and allows him to begin to work and heal and restore. And it, it makes me emotional to think about because God created honor as something to bring life. But the enemy has distorted it to something that brings death. God created honor to, to bring families together. But the enemy has used it to bring death. And so what Paul is inviting us to here in Ephesians 
is to look at, okay, God, if you are the one who designed and created the role of the family, then you are the one to show me how to live in this moment. And if we are following the the railway tracks that God has designed, even when it doesn't make sense in our human wisdom, we invite the Holy Spirit to bring healing to those areas that are wounded and broken. (laughs) Now, you... Those of you who know me well know my parents are sitting right here. And the reason that I can confidently speak this um, with them here and all of you is because they taught me this. I learned from my parents that parents aren't perfect, (laughs) not through their actions, but because they helped me understand this. I learned of the value of honoring my parents, assigning the value that God has already determined for them, because it's in that honor, in that action of, of saying, God, I trust the way that you've designed the family to work, that then the Holy Spirit begins to work in my heart, that the Holy Spirit begins to heal those wounds. The Holy Spirit begins to bring life and bring unity to our family within the context of honor. And all of us need to invite the Holy Spirit to heal that brokenness inside of us so that honor can no longer be a thing that the enemy uses to distort, but it can become a thing that God uses to bring life. Okay, let's continue to verse 4. Now, speaking of imperfect parents, here's, (laughs) Paul is aware of them as well. Verse four, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I I love this verse and and I want to share a brief story with you. Now, this is a story about my dad. And the fun thing about growing up as a pastor's kid is the stories from the platform were always about me. (laughs) But now my dad is a pastor's dad, so I get to share stories about him. However, I'm doing them in the most honorable way because I asked him if I could share this story and he said yes. So come with me back to the Ferguson kitchen for a moment. This is where a lot of our life unfolds now that I think about it. Um, My dad and one of my sisters were working in the kitchen and I was, again, a teenager, so I think I was in the corner on my phone or something. And... um, they were, they were getting lunch ready, I think, and my dad said something just a little bit sharp, you know, a little bit exasperating, if you will, to, to my sister. And immediately my sister said, Dad, that really hurts my feelings when you say that. And so in this moment, my dad has two options. He could have said, well, uh, I'm your dad, and so do whatever I want. Um, but what my dad did instead was he paused he humbled himself and he said, wow, like, I'm so sorry. That's not at all what I meant. Will you forgive me? And in that moment, my dad assigned the value that God has determined for his kids. <laughs> not the actions of the kids, but based on what, who God is calling, how God is calling us to honor it was a moment for me to experience as a teenager, and in my teenage brain, I was just thinking about the lunch that they were making and not the significance of the moment. But my dad, whether he knew it or not, used that moment of offering forgiveness and humbling himself to say, uh, as a moment to instruct in the Lord. Because Paul says, don't exasperate your kids. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
And that doesn't have to look like, you know, a one-way conversation. That can, the instruction of the Lord can happen by the way that we live as parents. And in that moment, my dad was demonstrating this whole scripture, <laughs> exasperating your children, and how to train them up in the Lord, which I think was a helpful, helpful moment for me to reflect on. The, the training and instruction of the Lord doesn't need to happen at a desk or in a lecture. Uh, it can happen out of the continuous filling of the Spirit in our hearts and in our homes as well. Okay, let's keep moving down through verse 5. And I'm going to read 5 through 8. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now, we're changing gears here in this section from the home to work. These are two very different spheres, but they're also both places where we spend the majority of our lifetime. And as we move into this section... I want to remind you of what Paul is communicating here in the purpose of his whole letter. You've been hearing the title for many months, Reshaped, and we chose that title on purpose because the gospel is meant to reshape our everyday interactions that we have largely at home and at work, where we spend a lot of our time. And so for us to read this section in context, we need to take note of who Paul is writing to at this church community. So we get it. He's writing to the group of the church in Ephesus. But Paul is assuming something here that I didn't notice the first time I read this passage. And Paul is assuming that the church is a place where both servants and masters have the same experiences together. In the Roman context, your position, your power, your money, what family you were from, or what determined whether or not you got a seat at the table. But Paul is already assuming that at the church of Ephesus, Every member of society gets a seat at the table. And this, is not, this was not a normal thing for the Ephesians. This is normal for us, we talk about in 2020. But this church that Paul is writing to, this was not normal for how, how, the, this, how society operated. Paul was already assuming that the church was a place where masters and servants were seen as equals in Christ. Now, something else I want to address, verse 5 starts with the word slaves. And so, as I have studied scripture and as I've learned in various conversations where I am not the smartest person in the room, (laughs) one of the things that I've really had to learn how to do is remove the, the cultural understanding of a word that I have in my mind living in 2021 and insert the cultural understanding of Paul, who is the one writing these words. Often I'm tempted to map on what I understand a word means. And as I've learned through study, I need to map on what Paul is outlining here, what a word means. And so it's easy for me to map on my understanding of the word slaves. And so something I think I've found that helps me understand what Paul is trying to communicate here um, is that the ESV translation translates that word to bondservant. And bondservant has a very different cultural meaning 
than the word slave does. Now, many translations like NIV, NLT, NASB, all the translations, um, they use different words here, but I find bondservant helps me get into the mind of Paul as he's writing this letter. And so the word that Paul writes is doulos, it's Greek. And doulos is a word used to describe anybody who is an employee or a worker in the home of a master. So this could have been doctor, doctors, artists, cooks, manual laborers, um, scribes. Anybody who falls under the employment of a master was called a doulos. And so this then causes me to ask the question, well, okay, if Paul thought it was important to address this, then what is the gospel reshaping in this section here? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. When you feel supported and empowered by your boss, does it cause you to want to do good work for them? It does for me. <laughs> um, but when you feel looked down on, forgotten, or demeaned by your boss, how does that reflect in your work output? <laughs> Paul knew that something was going on here in the, work, in the homes, in the workplace of the Ephesians. And he's addressing what all of us have come up against at some point, and it's this, that if my boss cares for me, then I'll do a good job. But if not, I'm going to wait until he earns it. I've definitely felt that way before, because, and many of us have, we are imperfect people. But Paul is trying to reshape something here through the lens of the gospel. And he's calling us to do the will of God from our hearts. And it turns out God's will in this section as well is to assign the value that he has determined for whoever our boss may be. And to assign that value to them out of honor for Christ. Let's, let's keep moving through here because Paul doesn't let... Uh, bosses or employers off the hook that easy either. You'll notice Paul speaks to kids first because everybody thinks, yeah, okay, we should get our kids to honor us. But then he speaks to parents and he says, parents, I want you to also reflect this heart towards your kids. And then he goes to the workplace and he says, employees, you should honor your boss. And all of us would say, yeah, okay, yeah, they're our boss. But then he says, boss, you should also honor your employees. Verse nine, he says, masters, treat your servants and slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Paul reminds us that Christ is ultimately our authority. In the family of God, Christ's behavior is the one that establishes the culture of the kingdom of God. And so then, this this. Uh, I'm sorry, I got lost here. Yeah, God is the one who establishes the character in the kingdom of God. And in the Roman context where Paul is writing to, like that wasn't the case. Like I said, your money, your power, your gender established your authority. And Paul is reminding all of those in the church of Ephesus that Christ is the one who determines our value. Not your position, not your actions, not your bank account not your successes or failures. Christ is the one who determines your value. And then he calls all of us to assign one another that value that Christ has determined. And this honor, this, this culture of honor that, that Christ exemplifies, that God establishes, that the Holy Spirit works out in our hearts is a distinguishing factor of what it looks like to be a part of God's family. 
And Paul is inviting all of us to begin to and continue to participate in carrying this culture of honor. Now, as we, as we close our time together here, I just want to remind us that this section is meant to demonstrate a railway track to the heart of God. It's not meant to exclude. It's meant to bring us closer to who God is calling us to be as his church. And the amazing thing is that when you and I carry this culture of honor into our everyday situations, people will notice. Like when you're on the Zoom call with your team in the morning and your boss like totally just roasts you for no reason and you respond with peace, your, your coworkers will be like, why did you do that? <laughs> or flip, flip it around. If you're, if you're a, an employer and you have a team member who is slow, maybe they forget stuff, maybe they, they're holding up a project and you have an opportunity to just light them up in front of everybody, but instead you choose to speak to them in private and honor them, that employee is gonna notice the different culture that you carry. Or maybe you're at the park with your kids and your daughter is chasing a butterfly and it flies away. She has a meltdown. (laughs) And we all know butterflies come back. It's gonna be fine. But you respond with love and caring instruction to your daughter instead of, (laughs) I'm still working on that response in myself. People will notice When we carry the culture of the kingdom of God, people notice. And the point is that we can introduce them to the one who establishes that culture in us, to the life-changing experience that is being a part of and adopted into the family of God. So today, in light of this section, I want all of us, I'm going to be doing this too, to ask ourselves, where have I been determining the value of others and not allowing God to? to determine their value? Where have I been determining the value of others and not allowing God to determine their value? You know, one of the best ways to assign the value that God has given somebody is with our words. Like, it's, it's very simple. God created the world with his words and he's given our words significant power to honor, to love, to affirm, to build up, to care for. And so today, as as we're gonna sit and reflect for a moment on this passage and this idea of the culture of honor, and as we do, I would encourage you to think about who is somebody who you need to assign the value that God has already given them. Not determine the value, but assign. And we can do that with our words. They have power to build and to love. And so that's my encouragement to you as much as it is a challenge to myself to say, Holy Spirit, who are you calling me to assign the value that you have already determined them? God, thank you. Thank you for the book of Ephesians. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus that reshapes the way that we have our everyday interactions. And so God, we come before you today as children in your household. And we submit ourselves to you. God, we're thankful for what the culture of honor has the potential for. And this morning, we ask that you would give us eyes to see that potential through the power of your Holy Spirit. That as a a church family of Koinonia and as, as your children in our areas of life, that we would be able to use this culture of honor that you have set up as a way to bring life 
as a way to bring unity, as a way to bring hope to this world that you have created. And so God, we are thankful that your spirit is the one who fills us to carry this culture of honor each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.